Father, we, we thank you today for your goodness and your mercies are new every morning. We thank you for what you're going to say through your word today. And I ask, Lord, that you would speak through me. You would remove those things that, that are not of you, Lord, and, and uh, that people will hear you clearly. So give us ears to hear, hearts that are open and, and a desire really to obey you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll tell you one thing, though. When you're in that situation, it sure makes you long for heaven when we get all new bodies. Do you agree? Ain't that a good thought? But saying that, you've heard me say that expression that the best is yet to come. I've shared that with so many people at bedside. Christmas, I got somebody brought me a little thing is the best of yet to come in my office. It's so encouraging. But I have something else to say today. And that is that the, it's not that the best is yet to come, and we do know that. The, the worst is yet to occur, or the worst is yet to come. We've been in a section where we're talking about the end times, we're in the end of the end times. Prophecy is being fulfilled through our eyes. We have to be careful. We're not reading in a bunch of things that's not in the Scripture. I've heard so many people say, you know, this and this and this. Just calm down and watch and see what's happening. We're to recognize the times, seasons, not be alarmed, not get so excited, but as I mentioned earlier, motivate to go and tell someone, to sit down with someone, to, to be kind and caring and loving. And people need to see the, the good news, the gospel in us. We need to be ready to give a, a reason for the hope that lies within. And this is one of the reasons for the conference, that we simply give them the very word of God. Well, again, we're looking at a, it, it probably one of the worst times in history, you know, in, in our text, telling us about, again, probably the most full example of what's happening. We saw that again in 2 Timothy 3. And we went through verses 1 through 5 last time, and we're going to continue from 6 through 13, continuing on with that series, but it's telling us what it's going to look like. Well, I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture because I believe the Scripture says that. I'm not escapist. I believe the Bible just simply says that and, and I long for that. Because who would want to be in a world the way the Scripture is describing at that time? As it becomes worse, and worse, and worse. Let me read from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 4. It should be on the screen. Describing that period of time that we're moving into, and we already see some of these things happening. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful and arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, 
treacherous, reckless, conceited. And here's the key. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. See, that's really the symptom. They, they love, again, pleasure rather than God. It describes, again, many men that, again, have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. They appear to be all these things, but underneath, they're, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. And sheep don't have clothing, but it's, you can see analogy there. This is the time that we're moving into, and it's rapidly changing. But wrong is right, and right is wrong. Through the years, I've watched a small amount of TV. I've watched some British mysteries, and it's getting where I'm watching less and less. I'm tired. I'm tired of seeing women kiss women on the lips and the scene that follows, or men. I don't need to go any further. You know what, how, and what is happening on TV. And as young kids grow up, they assume this is the normal. And it does become the normal, but not the right in that next generation. In school, they're already teaching that to have these type of relationships, it's a normal relationship in school. Your kids are learning this in school. Your grandkids. I'm tired. I want to see a world that God really had planned for each of us. But now is a time that we occupy it. Now is the time that we need to understand what the Word of God is saying, and we need to be able to open the Word of God. We need to be able to explain it to people. They need to know the truth, the truth that will set them free. Again, as we read that passage, uh, we see abuse of, of love. They're not esteeming of others higher than yourself. It, it's, it, it's a physical abuse. Rape is, is a common way. Pornography is increasing at alarming rates even among women and especially among kids who are 9 to 12 years old and they have smartphones. By the time they get into high school, they're sending pictures of themselves naked to one another. And we don't want to talk about this, but this is the world that we live in. We're to be in this world, but not of this world, and our life is to, to affect those around us. We should be willing to lay down our life first for the Lord and, and for one another. I watched uh, a movie, it's slow, like a European movie uh, on Amazon Prime. It's free, it's polycarp. And Polycarp was the bishop, if you remember, of Smyrna, one of the seven churches. The end, he dies. 
the church of Smyrna was a church in persecution. It was heavy. God found no fault with them. They were willing to lay down their life. They would not become a part of the, the society. Polycarp, they took him in the end. And they don't show this on TV. It's, it's slow or the video, but, but they, they show him being wicker, laid around him, lit on fire, and, and he's tied to a stake, and the Colosseum is around watching. When I was in Turkey last time and I saw 30,000, 40,000 seating in some of these places where Christians are persecuted, you could almost hear the cries. Finding pleasure. Where some of the Christians would run at the lions, not run from them, run to death, knowing to be absent the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Not willing to recant their belief, not willing to give incense unto Caesar, who was the God of this world, to some a antichrist in that period of time. Polycarp was told, if you just give incense to Caesar, you can live. And he says, why? Why would I turn against my Lord for 87 years? He's never wronged me. They lit the fires, but the fires would not even come against him. They would not encompass him. And finally, they took a spear and they had to spear him and kill him. We talk about persecution in this world. We don't know it in this country. We have no idea what the rest of the world is going on. It is getting darker. It is getting worse. It's not just because we have TV and the Internet where we can get information faster. The evil is more evil. And the Bible tells us it's going to get worse. It's not encouraging. But it is encouraging for you and me to take this time very seriously that you and I were born at such a time as this that we can share with people, family, and friends. As I mentioned, the abuse of love, look with me on the screen, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. We really see what, again, biblical love is supposed to look like. It's love is patient. And by the way, I know there's different views. Well, I'll just leave it there. Love is patient. Notice love is kind. It's not jealous. Love does not brag or is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not easily provoked and does not take account of wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes in all things, and endures in all things. Perfect love cast out all fear. Why the worst is yet to come, the best is still yet to come. For those who trust in the name of the Lord. Let's read our text for today in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6. I'll begin. For among them are those who enter 
into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led by various impulses, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, just as Jannies and Jambres opposed Moses. So these men also oppose the truth, men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith. But they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Jannies and Jambres' folly was also. Now you followed now you followed my teaching and conduct and purpose and faith and patience, love and perseverance, persecutions and sufferings such as happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. What persecutions I dured, and out of them all, all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Sadly, much of the church says things are going to get better. They're not getting better until Jesus Christ rules with a rod of iron and we're in heaven or that millennial kingdom. It's not. But you and I in this world, no matter what is going on, can have a perfect peace that when we face death, when we face sorrow, we have a hope, a hope that the world does not have. And that's something that you should know in your heart. And if you don't, you need to get into the Word of God. You need to know the Word of God. You need to take it and hide it in your heart that you do not sin against Him. Because the time is near. The book of Revelation uses that term. It's, it's near. He's coming soon. The idea is, is once these events begin to occur, they're going to occur quicker and quicker and quicker. The word is repetity, faster and faster. And we see the prophecies being fulfilled so quickly. In a moment, darkness will consume this world when the church is taken out of this place. But right now, we need to be the light. We need to talk and love and minister and care for those who are hurting. Again, going back to 2 Timothy, let me go back there. Chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, it says they were treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding the form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. There's a lot of religion in this world. A lot of deceit in this world as far as within what's called the body of Christ. We need to be the true church. The true church is the one that is born again and looking for his coming. Read it later. 1 John chapter 3. The idea of that text is those that are looking for his coming, it is a purifying doctrine, a purifying teaching. If you're looking for him coming, that you're not going to be involved in things that you should not be involved. In fact, you will be praying and say, God, 
set me free from these things, these struggles, these temptation, that I may glorify you. Paul, writing during this period of time, the false teachers, they, they prayed, notice upon again, women. Women loaded down with sins, led astray by their lust. They were ever learning, but they were never coming to the, the knowledge, the truth, because they're drawn away by their lust. And what we see is that these, these men, they don't wait for them to come to church, but what they do is they go out and they go after them. They knock on their doors. They appear to give them the truth, appear to be concerned about it, but they have one agenda. That's their own love of their own self and flesh. This is why, again, that Paul instructs us to turn away from such men. We've had men that have, have been in the church before that we've had to ask to leave because they have another agenda. We don't tell people what's going on. We just know there's a problem and we're not going to allow you to go through that. Again, this evil practice, it was, wasn't something new in Paul's day. Stop and think about this, this evil, this scheming, this lust. Desire to exalt yourself. Right back to the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, the scheming of the devil the deceitfulness. The devil's plan is the same today as it was in the Garden of Eden. But you know what his schemes are. We're to be aware of his schemes. We're to avoid these schemes. We're to avoid such people that bring this kind of information. In fact, to look again in verse 6, we see these gullible women were among them are those who enter households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins led by various impulses. The phrase from among them speak of those people that were in verse 5. Those who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. They're hypocrites. They're false teachers. They have another agenda. What they do is they see an easy prey. They go after them. Years ago, when I first went into ministry, I heard of a pastor, and, and there were some young guys in this church. It was a large church, and there were a lot of young women, and, and these men were preying upon these young women. And the pastor boldly stood before the congregation. He says, You're, everyone is welcome to come here, but you're not welcome to come here if you're wanting to chase the women. If you're wanting to come and know about God, you are welcome. But I tell you, if you take advantage of one of our sisters, you will be thrown out of this church. We will call the police. And sadly, there are a lot of churches that will not say anything. Everyone, everything is open game. See, this is a picture of the end times, the things that are happening. Now these were, again, deceitful false teachers. They went after those, that, again, that were weak in virtue, those that lacked an understanding of the truth. They hadn't taken the word, hid it in their hearts. So those that didn't know, they're weighed down with emotional and spiritual guilt. 
over their sins. They look to take advantage. They look to prey upon them. They oftentimes carry a, a name, bishop or pastor or elder or apostle or prophet. They carry the, the same Bible that you and I would, would carry. They talk the, the right words, the Christian buzzwords. They'll say a scripture or two and everything seems to be fine. But they never preach the power, the death, resurrection. The things that are important. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that you have been set free from your bondage, and if you sin today, you choose to sin. You simply submit. You simply give yourself over. But if you call upon the name of the Lord and, and you confess your sins, you say, God, I'm weak in this area. I need you. He will give you the strength. He will give you desires to, to be victorious because you are already victorious in Christ Jesus. Those are weak, don't realize what they have in Christ. They don't appropriate. They don't receive it. They know the words, but they never apply it to their own life. They're always looking for application in every message, just how to get through this and how to deal with that, but they're not looking themselves. They're not hearing him speak to them personally and intimately. It's interesting, it uses the word captivate. The word captivate there signifies a really a, a blind surrender of will. The conscience, such as teachers, they just give themselves over. Oh, go with me for a second. How many remember when they were 16 years old, guys? You had a mission. It wasn't God's mission. Girls, you knew the mission of the guys. You know those lost. There's a temptation. God's given those desires when they're used for his glory, for his purposes. The devil looks to use them. And what these, again, unscrupulous, devious even teachers, they warm their ways into houses of immature women driven by their cravings, become easy prey. Now, that's not saying all women. Um, but in the same time, there is always a group that are just trying to live in the past. They're weak, and they're giving themselves sadly over. How sad when you think about these preachers and teachers, how they abuse the trust given to them and they seduce their own members. I don't care what denomination you're in or non-denomination. They're there. And we need the wisdom and the discernment of, of God. Again, the knowledge of the truth is what's so important. That they, they seduce members of their own congregation, they do not know the knowledge of the truth. This is why it's so important that you've got to know what God's will is. If you don't know what God's word is, you don't know. Do not know God's will. It's to sanctify your body. 
your mind unto the Lord. The knowledge of the truth. These weak women are silly women in some scripture. It says they're always learning, never able to come, notice, to the knowledge of the truth. Because their emotions of and love, and, and as they call love, is, is that driving thing that prevents them from really knowing the truth. Anyone ever sin here? You know, when you sin, you have a hard time looking the other person in the eye. You don't want to admit. You don't want to deal with it. But it becomes easier the next time if you do not address it, if you do not confess. You do not choose to repent. You do not call upon the name of the Lord. That idea of always learning does not mean I should say it probably does not mean they assimilate what they hear. It might be better translated they're always listening but they're never able to learn and know the truth. You know, we heard the music of the kids in the other room. And it's not that music in that room that caught those kids. But I'm going to tell you, those kids, they catch something when they're young. Those kids come and they're, they're wanting to believe and wanting to know. And they believe it when the teacher says it. You know, in your own life, your, your kids, they believe anything that you would say. I would set my daughter up on the refrigerator and she would jump off, and she believed I would catch her. I did. They believe. And they carry that for most of their life. But adults become all wise in their own eyes. They no longer believe the truth. Not so sure about Jesus they become ignorant to the truth. Why? I shared this a couple of weeks ago, I believe. Acts chapter 28, it will go on the screen in, in verse 26 and 27. Notice what it says. Go to this people, and this is again a quote of Isaiah, but Paul's saying it. He's in house arrest in Rome at this time. He says, saying, go to this people and say, you will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart, this people has, notice, become dull. Become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear. They've closed their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, they return, and I would heal them. You know, a person going down that path is the person that comes to church and says, oh, I've heard that passage. I know that story. And they check out. And they're not waiting for God to speak something new and something fresh to them that day. And they close their minds. They close their ears. They don't want to see. They're like the ostrich that buries his head in the sand. I don't know, want to know about these end times. I don't want to know how horrible it is. I don't want to believe that. And what happens is sometimes they begin to isolate themselves so much from these things that they find themselves, they're doing some of these same things themselves. Sadly, they've deceived themselves. 
2 Timothy 4.3 says this, for a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That word doctrine is the same word as teaching. Are there any theologians here today? Here's a clue. Every one of you should be a theologian. Theology is the study of God. Every one of you should be able to speak about who God is, what God has done. That when you pray, maybe you grumble to God. Anyone grumble? No, I'm not going to ask you if you grumble. But sometimes we grumble to God. And by the end of the prayer, thank you, God, because I know that you will hear me and you will answer me and you will do what is right. See, the theology always brings me to the place of knowing who God is and knowing how God will act in every situation. You should be a theologian. Oh, I know the words, they're scary. But people sometimes ask, well, who is this God that you believe? I don't believe in God's. And you should be able to tell them who God is. He's the God that created the heaven, the earth, spoke all things into existence, who laid down his life for every person in this world that would believe in him and died upon the cross, was raised from the grave on the third day. However it is, theology is just a study. We want to know about God. And this is what he says again in John 17, 3. Eternal life is knowing God. How can you have a peace that passes understanding if you do not know God? Knowing that he's in control, he's in control of the outcome. I consider it a joy when I encounter various trials, knowing the testing of faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect work. Because if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are deceiving yourself. It doesn't matter whether you go to church or tithe or anything. You must be born again. You must have a relationship with him. So again, 2 Timothy 4.3, for a time will come when they'll not endure sound doctrine. That's the teaching about God. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. But we only want to hear about evangelism. We only want to hear about this. We don't want to hear about this. We don't want to hear about anything bad. They collect what they want to hear. But what you need and I need is the whole counsel of God's word. I need to know what God says in every circumstance. I need to know when the frequency does, and I understand it when I study it by knowing I'm going through it in the frequency it does, and I don't get off on my hobby horses what I want to hear, what I want to know. Apostates are they're victimized by false intellectualism, and this is what's affecting the body of Christ today. One might say something like this, I'm smarter than you, and you don't know what I know. It's what we call Gnosticism. It's nothing new. We've just given it a new title. Church history gives us many examples of victims of men pretended to be holy. There was the Russian priest, if you remember, studying history, Rasputin, who is a, a massive seducer of women. 
You can't understand forgiveness. You can't understand his grace until you sin. So let's sin. Wherever he did, he seduced women. Don't forget there's Joseph Smith who founded a religion based upon, again, polygamy. Although, again, the present or modern-day Mormons try to deny that. Brigham Young had scores of wives, and the Time magazine declared that there's still some Mormons who practice that polygamy today. We've seen it on the news a few years ago, a group in Arizona in different places. Then there's David Koresh, former leader of the Branch Davidians, who was able to persuade the, the married men in his congregation that he alone had the right to be a husband to their wives. You know, the list goes on. This type of thing is found sadly in every denomination. This is why it's so important that you need to be a Berean. You need to examine the word and, and see and know, is it, is it the truth? Is it the truth that really sets us free? See, it's in verse 8. We see there's a concern, a concern about these de deceitful teachers. And Paul uses, again, this illustration, just as Janice and Jambres opposed Moses. So these men also, who are apostate teachers, they're opposing the truth. Men of depraved mind reject in regard to the faith. There are people that just say, well, that isn't what the Bible says. There was a pastor within a Calvary Chapel, no longer a Calvary Chapel, but one morning went to John 3.16, and he says, and he reads the verse, let me tell you what this really means. God didn't save, die for the world, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believe in him, not perish, but have everlasting life. He only died for the elect. Not that everyone could come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. No longer a Calvary chapel. No longer even a pastor at this point, as far as I know. They're there. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. Paul dips into the past and brings their history because... There's something we learn from history. What is it we learn from history? Anyone know? Nothing. What do we do? We keep repeating it over and over and over again. There are hypocrites just like Jannies and Jambres. And they're here and there. It's interesting. The name of one of the men is Janice. His name means he who seduces. The name of the other, Jambres, his name means one who makes rebellion. See, that's what these people do, is that they come in and they seduce people and they, again, bring division. They're divisive. And if you don't know the truth, they can make it sound so good. This is why we encourage you to read the Word, to know the Word yourself, to get into small studies and discuss and talk and work through these things. Paul's pointing out here, it's essential, Timothy, you need to deal with these things quickly.
every church needs to deal with these teachers quickly. Or they'll wear you down. They'll take advantage of people. There's a concern about their deficiency. Notice they oppose the truth. Men of depraved mind reject or suppress the truth, rejected, regard the faith. But really what they're doing is opposing. They're hostile. They suppress the truth. Romans chapter 1 talks about that. They're men of a depraved mind or a reprobate mind that doesn't work, that is concerning the faith. The men that are charlatans, counterfeit. Now, it's important to know the word, but it's equally important that the word is lived out through your life and the leader's life. That you should recognize that they're a man after God. That they love God. They love the word of God. Years ago, there was a guy that says, you know what? He says... I don't understand. You love Jesus, and all you want to talk about is Jesus. And I thought to myself, wow, oh, I guess if I were, again, just going to a church and I had a pastor, I'd want a pastor that loved Jesus and loved his word. Because it's the word that will set you free. It's his truth that will set you free. See, they profess to, to love, and they serve God, but they seek to hide Really, they're evil desires. I bet you in here, every one of us, in some time, some point, have been hypocritical, been very deceptive. Someone asks you or say something about you, and maybe it's, it's, it's something nice, and you know it's not true. Oh, gosh, and we act like blush. People said kind things to me, and then I turn around and pray, God, help me be the, the person, the godly person that someone might think I am. It's really important. This is a mark of a believer, is one who, who loves and lives a life of love, and, and they're walking in the truth as he's in the truth. And these false teachers don't. And what we saw is, is they love pleasures. They love entertainment more than God. But they're in leadership. These are the end times teachers. You've seen them on TV. The faith teachers. The name it, claim it teachers. God wants you to be rich. I'm going to tell you, every one of us are rich in heavenly places. And the best is yet to come. And it ain't about money. It's about being with the Lord in a world where there's no sin, sorrow, or pain, or temptation, or corruption, money is meaningless. It's only a tool. They profess to love, but they seek to hide their evil, sinful actions. In the end, they'll suffer. In fact, Romans 1.18 for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Let me tell you what this really says, and it's not saying that. Oftentimes people will tell me, read the context, read that for me. And then they tell me what it means. I said, read it again. 
Sometimes you have to have them read it four or five times. Is that really what that's saying? You know, as you're reading, I'm hearing something different, and, and they begin to stop, and sometimes they'll begin to listen, and a lot of times they don't want to because they've been told that's what it means, and they're so sure of it, and they're going to go tell someone else and deceive someone else. You need to know for yourself. Do you know if you were to die today where you'd go? I know that I'd go to be with the Lord. And in his presence is what? In his presence is fullness of joy. Psalm 16, the very end. In his presence is fullness of joy. Jude 1 3. Notice what it was saying. Jude is writing later on, and he, he writes, he says, Beloved, why I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation. He was excited about it. I felt it necessary to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith once and for all handed down to the saints. Peter would have a very similar story. These false teachers had crept in already. Romans 1.28 goes on, and it says, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do the things which are not proper. Adultery, more common in this world than most people realize. It's a way of life. And they laugh about it on TV. They make it something wonderful. Yet I know some people that are in Christ that have not forgiven themselves for destroying their family, their relationship, even losing their job. A study of Mary Baker Eddy, founder of the thinker of Christian science, may serve to illustrate the gullible women, again, blithedly following her own convictions rather than the scripture of the historic Christian teaching, misleading others like the author of the study who extols and, and defends her. Paul's term may not be derogatory, but the description of facts on the ground. And it is not as if Paul lets those who are misleading them, apparently men, off the hook. You and I, one day, will be accountable for every word and every idle word. In love, we are to call sin, sin. And find no pleasure in sin. Oh, sin is fun, isn't it? It is. For a moment, or we wouldn't do it. But we know the consequences. And the wages of sin is, but the gift of God See, that's why we need to hide that word in our heart. In every age, there have been people just like Jannies and Jambres who have depraved minds. There have been people who have wormed in uh, to our homes and gave control over to weak-willed women. There will be people who have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. There will be people who are lovers of themselves and lovers of money, and you can't change it. 
but we can submit to the very word of God. Look with me at verse 9. We see the concern about their folly, but they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janus and Jambres' folly was also. See, just as Moses' day is, it was revealed. These false teachers, in the end, their sin will be revealed. Surely your sin will find you out, it says in the book of Numbers. You can't hide it forever. You think you can, but in the end, it will show you. Again, Numbers 32, 23 says this, but if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. You know, that's one of the ways that God disciplines you in me. He'll let you sin. But boy, you'll pay the consequence of those sins. It's his way of disciplining you, waking you up. Boy, I wish I'd never gone down this path. It's not worth it. Some of us have to learn the hard way, sadly. Verse 10 begins a new section. It might be really titled Paul's final words to Timothy. Timothy is to follow and he's to continue in, in the word of God no matter what goes on, what's happening, no matter what anyone says. His faithfulness, it, it's necessary in the face of opposition. There is no recanting for a true believer. We need to stand on what the word of God says. People can say whatever they want to say, but it does not change the truth. It's in verse 10 that Paul wrote, now you've followed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience and love and perseverance, persecution and sufferings such as happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured and out of them the Lord rescued me. Paul focusing on his teaching. It's important to understand his teaching is not a pseudo-Christianity. It's the truth of God's word. Not some psychobabble that, that people add, some worldly vision, a mixture of psychology and, and, and some worldly wisdom, some personality cult with a little Bible thrown in here and there. This word that Paul teaches is timeless. Timeless word is relevant in every generation. It cleanses our hearts, our minds. We wash ourselves with the word of God every time we read. Not just reading it, but when we hear it with our heart, we let God speak to us. When you've truly been in the Word of God, Christ will be preeminent in your life. I know the person that's in the Spirit after I talk to him a while because it, it, it's very obvious that God is number one. He's, he's preeminent. They're, they're following him. A lot of people will say, I'm in the spirit. And they're focusing sometimes on, on gifts. And they really don't know God's word. They don't know the heart of God. Well, Timothy, likewise, just as, a, the, as the false teachers would or, or philosophers would, he needs to emulate, again, what, what Paul was teaching, these same words. Paul was to find those who are faithful 
He was to entrust them with the word of God from generation to generation. And, and that's something that we're always looking is for that next one to pass on, that one that will carry the ball if the Lord tarries, the one that will go and bring the truth, the truth that will set the people free. Look at for a moment at verse 11 in our text. Paul reminded Timothy of his troubles. There, there were many, maybe even to the point of being unbearable, overwhelming in some ways. We've all experienced, I, I just can't go through a, a, another day of this. We've all said that, I'm sure, at some point. Well, I'm going to agree with you, you can't. But if you give it to God, he'll give you the strength. Exactly what you need at that moment. Paul went on, though. After all these trials, after all these storms... <laughs> Yet the Lord rescued him from them all. Every one of us have a testimony here where God has rescued you and me in some way. Sometimes from error, sometimes from maybe a life or death situation, from a horrible relationship. Again, clearly this is edifying, even encouraging to, to Timothy. That why? That God would never leave him alone in his trials. When you're going through a trial and storm, God is there. He's with you. He knows what you're going through. He knows every tear, every sorrow, every prayer. He hears it. He's aware. And Timothy, he's reassuring Timothy, you're going to have to deal with all of this in Ephesus. I'm passing this baton on to you. And it's not easy. You're going to go through many of these same things. But God is with you. And if God is with you, who could ever be against you? He mentions Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. And, and certainly Timothy understood that because he was from Lystra. He understood the persecution that Paul had went through. He knew the hostility and the anger of people. You probably know it too when you've shared with people. People got angry, mocked you. Nasty, condemned you. Well, that's good for some people that are weak. They don't know. Timothy, you're going to have to deal with these. 2 Timothy 4, 17, 18 says this, but the Lord stood with me. He strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. Not literally, but symbolically. He knew that God kept him. He knew that God gave him the boldness to speak. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely into the heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Do you get the idea here that Paul knows the Lord? And every one of us should know the Lord in our own life in, in a similar way. The trials, the storms you go through, they're different for each one of us. But God's there. God's holding you. God's sustaining you. God's keeping you. William Barclay comments, it's Paul's conviction that the real follower of Christ cannot escape persecution. These are hard words. If anyone proposes to accept a set of stands quite different from the world's, he's bound to encounter trouble. If anyone proposes 
to introduce into his life a loyalty which surpasses all earthly loyalties, there are bound to be clashes. And that's precisely what Christianity demands of a man should do. All who desire to live godly will be persecuted. Oh, I know we're in America. But I'm also going to say that many people may not know you're even a Christian. Are you living for Christ? Is it obvious? This is why Paul writes, as he does in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's a principle taught through the Bible. Verse Peter 4.12-13 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of the glory, you may rejoice in his exaltation. And I could see the the martyrs. John Huss was one of them. Burned again at a stake, wicker, put around, kerosene poured. He went up in flames singing praise songs to God. He angered the Catholic Church so much at that period of time. 200 years later, they dug up his bones and burned him again because the people wanted the word of God themselves. They wanted to be Bereans. They wanted to know it. And it was getting that word of God that brought about the Protestant movement. I'm not, I'm in a Protestant in a sense, but I'm not protesting anything other than the world. Again, John Griffin was a Welsh Christian missionary translator of China, wrote that once when he was surrounded by a hostile heathen crowd and he was beaten, he put his hands to his face and when he withdrew it, he saw that he was bathed in blood. He was possessed by this extraordinary sense of exaltation and he rejoiced that he had been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. It is not remarkable that any suffering is exalted by Christianity to this lofty plane. Truly, even apparent trife burns with a fire immortal when it is communion with the infinite. The cross dignifies and nobles. You and I, again, don't know persecution, but in some of the countries, as I've been reading, I marvel, is my faith real when I see these people laying down their faith? It's these testing, these trials. This is what Timothy was about to go through. Timothy, you need to be strong in the Lord. Smyrna, as I mentioned, Polycarp, he was the bishop of Smyrna. They would go through ten waves of persecution. And it went on and on and on. And the people would become believers and they would die and more believers would come up and they would die for their faith. And it was a testimony that even more come into the saving knowledge. Verse 13, but evil men, imposters will proceed from bad to worse and deceiving and being deceived. Bottom line, society will, as the scripture says, continue to degenerate worse and worse and state. But interestingly, I want to finish with some verses. First John two thirteen. 
I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I've written to you, children, because you know the Father. Well, think for a second. The fathers are described as as if knowing the one who is from the beginning, speaking about that relationship, that, that maturity they have. They've known the sweet companionship of the Son of God. And they are satisfied. The young men in a, in a spiritual family are characterized by their, their vigor, their, their combat. This is a period of conflict. Think about it. Wrestling with the foe. Young men, though, they've overcome the wicked one because they've learned the secret of victory. Namely, not I, but Christ living in me. That's the key. Then there's the little children, the the babes in faith, let's say. They do not know much at all, really, when you stop and think about them. Perhaps they do know the Father, the Father's love. I thought about that, and I remember my daughter, my son, when I come home from work, and I, I had this deck that I built out to the street, and and uh, and they could hear me kind of popping along, and and I would just hear them, "Daddy, Daddy, Daddy's home, Daddy's home." It should be that way. God's home is our home. He's home. We can run into his arms when things are are difficult. We can find comfort. We can find strength in him. He's provided the hope, the hope that the world doesn't have, but the hope that the world needs to have. Father, thank you for today. I I thank you for your your text, your words, uh, difficult, hard as they are, to see things getting worse and worse, but yet having that assurance, knowing that you are in control of the outcome and nothing that we see, nothing that we hear, whether it be in the news or in our own community, should ever surprise us because you've already told us what's about to happen. Father, we ask that you would pour into our heart a love beyond anything we've ever known, a love for the lost, a love for our community, our family, our friends, a boldness to share our faith in love and tenderness and grace, that we not be arrogant or self-righteous, but we come in kindness and tenderness to those that need to hear the truth that will set them free. In Jesus' name, amen.